Welcome to day 26 of Crikey's Election Cast. It's Friday, the 6th of May. I'm Cam Wilson. Across the inner city seats in Australia's capital cities, teal is everywhere. Perhaps the defining story of the election so far has been the surge of independent candidates who, once upon a time, might have been moderate liberals, who are now challenging what were once safe blue ribbon seats. Earlier today, politics editor Bernard Keane covered the teal wave and connected their moment to a growing polarisation in global politics in a conversation with associate editor Amber Schultz. Polarisation has been increasing across the Western world. Um, we've seen this, you know, with Donald Trump uh, rising inequality, and it's something that Scott Morrison has really benefited from. And as you write, it was beneficial for him in the 2019 campaign and beneficial for the coalition. Uh, but polarisation has come back to bite him. Uh, what's changed in the last year? Well, I, look, there are, there are different dimensions to, to polarisation. Polarisation is a phenomenon, uh, you know, quite separate from Scott Morrison or, or even what we've seen in the US. It's certainly a pre-existing phenomenon. It's been underway for quite some time. It's, it's probably been at its most intense in the US, but the same... The same forces that have driven it in the US have been driving it elsewhere. Things like social inequality, globalisation, um, uh, resentment at the loss of, of jobs um, offshore, um, and the loss of, of social status of you know basically white white men. Um, but politicians have always, um, and of course the role of the media and ever more sort of extremist media of which the best-known example is, is News Corp. Um, but politicians have been keen to exploit it. And, you know, not all of them have been on on the right. But the most prominent example, of course, is Donald Trump, Boris Johnson's uh, another. And Scott Morrison has certainly done his bit to exploit polarisation and continues to do so. I mean, the entire strategy around Catherine Deves, uh, the, the book candidate in Warringah, is really about dog, whist- dog whistling on on culture war issues around uh, transphobia yeah, for other electorates rather than for Warringah, where, where these is not expected to succeed. So Scott Morrison, like many other politicians, has, has, sought, to use, um, has sought to use the polarisation of the electorate. But what is happening at the moment is that the Liberal base is being threatened by polarisation um, as well. One of the consequences of polarisation is you can't, it gets harder and harder to be a broad church. It gets harder and harder to be a party that, or, or a coalition that can incorporate very diverse viewpoints. So Labor's discovered that. It's, it's discovered it's very hard to be um, pro-Adani up in Queensland, but anti-coal mining uh, down in, in, in urban electorates in, uh, in Sydney and Melbourne. It went through that entire process last time around. Um, and this time around, Scott Morrison's discovering it. He's discovering that being shackled to the nationals and really concentrating his campaign on regional seats and talking a lot about fossil fuels, about subsidies to fossil fuels, about things like carbon capture and storage, basically singing the praises of fossil fuels and talking about um, uh, providing more opportunities for, for um, particularly for regional communities in fossil fuels, really does uh, undermine the Liberal case for re-election in um, wealthy urban electorates. Um, Because as you get more and more polarised in the electorate, voters become less and less willing to uh, tolerate any sort of deviation from what they regard as 
uh, their core set of values. And that's exactly what's underway right now in the so-called teal independent seats. Mm, and it's causing a huge headache for Liberal moderates like Trent Zimmerman. It's it's really interesting that, you know, we do know that climate change is a big issue for Australians. Polling shows that we, we really do care about it and we want to see action on it. But it does feel uh, that a lot of the conversation has been dominated uh, about other things, about, you know, uh, interest rates and, and affordability. Um, do you think that climate change is has it been front and centre of the current debate or the current election campaign? Do you think it's been a deliberate tactic by both Labor and Liberal to avoid it? Yeah, I think it has. Uh, look, climate change has slowly been increasing its profile in the election campaign. Um, but then, of course, the inflation rate res- result came out last week and, of course, the interest rate decision this week. So cost of living has just blown every other issue away. I mean, looking at the data that Icentia has provided, crikey, for our campaign insights um, series, really shows that cost of living and interest rates just were, together were, you know, uh, and, you know, total more of the campaign coverage than every other issue pretty much put together. So um, every other issue, including climate change, has really been put in the shade over the last week. Uh, I think that reflects a decision on, on the part of both parties that they really don't want to talk about climate change. So uh, Anthony Albanese in his debate with Scott Morrison, of course, he's going to have more debates with Scott Morrison. But in his first debate with Scott Morrison, he didn't even want to talk about climate change. He didn't want to mention the words climate change. He preferred to talk about energy efficiency. Um, he preferred to talk about investment in renewables rather than talk about climate change. Um, Labor, I think, senses that if when it wants to talk about climate change, it's got to talk about investing in regional uh, jobs in renewables, uh, which, of course, is a great, you know, perfectly good strategy. Um, and that makes both policy and political sense. Scott Morrison, I think, just doesn't want to talk about it at all because it's, there's no wins for him uh, in, in that regard. He's obviously this government that does nothing uh, on Climate change, that's exactly how the nationals like it. Uh, it's a source of extraordinary embarrassment to um, moder- uh, you know, self-described liberal moderates um, in seats like uh, like in, in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, so Scott Morrison, I think, would prefer just to simply leave the issue right alone in the same way that he would prefer not to be talking about integrity. He'd just prefer, prefer not to be talking about uh, um, uh, issues around a federal ICAC. There's just no particular gains for him given his uh, policy in action. So neither side really has been keen to talk about it. The independents, on the other hand, and the Greens, very keen to talk about much more ambitious climate action policies. It's interesting because Scott Morrison does have messages he, you know, would like to get out there. He should be getting out there for the coalition, a strong economy and a national security. Um, But he's really been struggling in the last couple of weeks. Why do you think that is? Yeah, he's been, so national security and, and a strong economy are his two core issues well they, they, they are his issues full stop they're the ones that, he, that he's hoping to get re-elected on and um labor of course has wanted to talk about not merely talk about other issues like integrity not so much climate change but but uh like integrity uh like uh wages like aged care uh and the ndis but what labor's also sought to do is skew the issues um skew those two issues, or, or particularly the economy issue, skew it in a direction that um, serves them. So what we've seen from from Anthony Albanese and Jim Chalmers versus what we've been getting from Morrison and, and Josh Frydenberg really is a contest over defining the economic issue. Now, there's a, there's a rule of thumb for progressive politicians when it comes to the economy, and that is 
You don't talk about a strong economy. You don't talk about economic management because that's an issue that plays well for conservatives. What you do is you talk about managing the economy for working families and households. And if you can get that discussion, if you can get the discussion on the economy onto the impact of the economy on households, then progressive parties are you know, much better off. And that's what we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks. We've been seeing this focus on cost of living issues, big inflation result, now rising interest rates, really have sort of shifted the focus of the economic debate away from the fact that we've got an economy that's going very strongly, one that's got very low unemployment, one that's doing so well, we need uh, not just one, but like looking likely several increases in interest rates to address inflation. Um, that's shifted the, you know, the focus right away from that and onto the fact that households are facing rising prices and rising mortgage repayments, which is exactly how Labor would want it to play out. So Scott Morrison has not been able to really make the economy a winner um, in the sort of uh, in the terms that he would have been hoping when they were preparing his election campaign. And of course, the same thing's played out with national security. I mean, national security has just not been. Um, a goer for Scott Morrison. Even today, you know, he's been defending, he's been making this frankly bizarre argument that um, he hasn't picked up his phone to Prime Minister Sogavari of, of the Solomon Islands to discuss his deal with China because uh, intelligence agencies have been saying, don't call him, um, which I find, <laughs> I, I find uh, quite extraordinary that, um, that our diplomatic efforts are now being directed by intelligence agencies. But B, uh, I'm pretty amazed to discover that our diplomatic strategy in the Pacific is to not is to refuse to speak to people. I mean, you know, it's, it's like we're in a school playground rather than dealing with really serious issues around national security and the, the presence of China in the region. So that issue has continued to dog Scott Morrison right from right from the get go of this campaign, um, and again, taken away an issue that he would have expected to to have really been campaigning successfully on. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the only uh, issue or, or loss Scott Morrison experienced this week. Just this morning, Malcolm Turnbull came out encouraging voters to abandon the Liberal Party and switch their allegiance to independent challenges. Um, obviously, Malcolm Turnbull has been a critic of Scott Morrison for a long time. But do you think this message will have a big impact on moderate Liberal voters? Oh, look, Ma- Ma- Malcolm's been saying for a while that he, you know, he doesn't see, he, he doesn't think it's a problem if the kind of people who supported him end up backing uh, independence. So he's already said once that, you know, wh- whoever wins in Wentworth, his old seat, Dave Sharma or, or Allegra Spender, will be, you know, perfectly good representative, which is obviously a absolute damning of, of, of Dave Sharma. Um, today he's, he, well, he's sort of denying that he, he's gone as far as the media is saying he did, but there is no doubt that he is basically signalling to moderate, Small or liberal voters that you know, if you think it's a good idea to um, to switch your vote to independence, well, you know, you, you're probably doing the right thing, or you might be doing the right thing because uh, it's it's been a real struggle for moderate liberals within the Liberal Party to get their voices heard. So, in effect, he's giving permission, even if he's not encouraging. Um, as to whether it will have much of an impact, look, I think a lot of the people, that, a lot of the people that we're talking about in these teal independent seats, they're politically engaged anyway. They'd be pretty aware of Malcolm's position. Um, they would have read the tea leaves on that quite some time ago. So I don't think his intervention is really going to to shift a lot of votes. But, um, uh, you know, th- these are going to be very, well, 
looks at the moment like these are going to be very finely balanced contests, which might come down to uh, a couple of hundred votes or, or even a smaller margin than that. So who knows? Uh, uh, an intervention like that from Malcolm Turnbull might even you know, end up playing a significant role in the contest, in, certainly in a seat like Wentworth, um, as well as the other teal independent seats. Mm-hmm. And just finally, these these moderate liberal voters that um, Malcolm Turnbull is talking to, they had previously been quite misogynistically described as doctors, wives, and dismissed um, in in previous elections, previous years. So this this cohort is exactly who many independents are appealing to, or who the independents themselves are, moderate liberals. Um, but even though it has been a few years since the doctors' wives rhetoric has been used. You, you point out in your piece today that misogyny, misogyny hasn't stopped. Um, how have the independents been targeted by this sexist rhetoric? And, and do you think that this, you know, bodes well for, for, the, criti- for the critics? Look, I, look, I really suspect there's a strong latent element, and sometimes, often not so latent, but, you know, generally a latent strand of misogyny in Australian politics. And every so often it comes out of the open. Julia Gillard uh, really sort of... Uh, it, prompted an explosion of it uh, when she was Prime Minister. It occasionally erupted uh, in relation to um, uh, Liberal MPs. And I would also argue you know, Peter Credlin was a victim of, of uh, misogynist criticism as well. Um, you know, basically a sense that uh, high-profile, successful women in leadership positions do still get treated with with you know, subjected to misogynistic abuse. And I certainly, I think that's definitely the case with uh, with the Teal Independents who are all uh, female. So we had Alexander Downer, of course, um, basically saying they're depriving great men of the opportunity to um, to rise at the top in politics. You had Ted Bailey, a former um, uh, Victorian Premier. I don't know why he was given the platform that uh, nine newspapers gave him, but they he, they gave him a platform to 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 run a long opinion piece about them that didn't mention any of them by name and only named Simon Holmes a court as basically their puppeteer, um, uh, basically arguing that, you know, the identity of these women is irrelevant. They're, they're all just sort of stooges of, of, of a male. Um, in fact, that, that angle of saying all of these people are just simply agents of Simon Holmes a court is, uh, you know, really sort of, again, is a kind of a perhaps a more subtle form of, of misogyny. Um, but the general sense that that these are these are illegitimate participants in uh, in politics, I think, really does has really is 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 magnified by the fact that they are female. I think if there was a male independence, high profile male independence, they would not be being uh, treated in the same way. Um, and of course, it's reinforced by the fact that there's a real sense of panic within the government and within news corporation um, about the, the, the possibility of success of these, um, of these candidates. I mean, it's quite clear that, that, uh, that uh, they think there's a real chance that at least one and two or, or maybe even more of these independents could, could get up in seats like Goldstein, Wentworth, North Sydney um, and so on. So they're throwing everything at them, uh, including, I mean, Scott Morrison's rhetoric is increasingly hysterical. I mean, it's, it's, Basically, he's saying they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and, uh, and the, the world will fall apart if they manage to get elected into a into what used to be called a hung parliament. So, uh, it's pretty febrile stuff, and misogyny is you know is is always there underneath the surface in Australian politics, and 
it's, you know, it's been pretty clearly brought to the surface in relation to uh, these these high high profile and very articulate and you know very community connected female candidates who are posing a threat to establishment liberals. Crikey's politics editor Bernard Keane speaking to associate editor Amber Schultz there. Thank you so much for listening to Crikey's election cast. With just about two weeks until polling day, we will be covering all of the campaign's twists and turns on this podcast and of course on crikey.com.au. Enjoy your weekend and we'll be back on Monday.